Hey folks, how you guys doing out there tonight? This is Tony. We're bringing you a Fan Holes Toku Thursday episode this week. We haven't done this in a while. We thought we'd go back to our favorite tokusatsu shows. One show we've been really been wanting to get back to, and we've actually had fan feedback asking us to get back to it, because it's, it's been like decades since we've done it, <laughs> is Kamen Rider Guide. We did a few episodes of this, we've six to start off with, and we wanted to come back to it. And we're kind of changing it up now because Kamen Rider Gaim is over. They're already halfway through Drive, Kamen Rider Drive in Japan. So we're going to do it by arcs. This is actually something brought up by my fellow fandom who's here tonight. i give a shout out. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. Yeah, Derek brought up that they actually have story arcs, not just the over-encompassing story. The uh, first arc, entitled Children, is the first 11 episodes. We've already done, as I said, six, so we're going to go seven to 11. 7, 11. So that way we can kind of get out content quicker and hopefully more condensed storytelling, if you will. But yeah, we're going to go ahead and jump into the meat and potatoes of this because we do have five episodes to get through and we want to like give you as good a synopsis as possible. What I'm just going to do is I'm just going to kind of maybe do like, I figured the best way to do it would be kind of do like mini summaries and like thoughts on the episodes and then maybe wrap up the whole art in one nice general thought. So I'm going to start with the first episode of the the episode tonight. It's going to be called Great Ball Watermelon Big Bang. <laughs> Watermelon. Woo. <laughs> you know, this this is the continuing theme that I notice for Kota. Kota turns into or acquires the lock seeds of all my favorite fruit. Like it's like he's <laughs> he gets he gets the orange, he gets the strawberry. He gets the pineapple, and now he has the watermelon. So he's 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 four for four with me. He gets all the good stuff. Yeah, he really does. He gets like pretty much the most awesomest fruit. <laughs> he's a fruit master. We start off though this episode with our favorite common writer, effeminate pastry chef Bravo, kicking the ever living crap out of uh, Kurokage and Gradon. These guys are pretty much comedic. You know, comedy relief, so they're not supposed to do well. Kota is not happy with how fiercely Bravo is kicking their asses, but Bravo don't care. You know, he's all, merci, merci, showing off his French arrogance for a bald Japanese guy. Then <laughs> pretty much the entire theme of this episode is Bravo saying that as an adult, he's a better fighter and he's got tactics and he was in the military. And it's pretty much adults versus kids. One of the small little scenes in this episode is a very cool scene at Yggdrasil, where Takatora, also known as the White Armored Rider, or if you're more in the know, Melon Arms, he's talking to Lockby Lucid, and then who comes on there but DJ Sagara. So apparently all these guys know each other. Yeah, it's Finally, weird. They're like the they're like that a little Illuminati of the the writer Gaim community or whatever because you're like wait a minute so the dj is talking to sid and sid talks to what's his name the the brother yeah yeah so it's like they're all kind of 
and then and then they're on the view screen with the creator of all the drives and everything. So it's like you're like, oh hey, they're all kind of meeting together like a little Illuminati click in this city. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I mentioned that I think in one of the early episodes of Toku Thursdays on this series. I was like, you might want to watch DJ Cigar. There's more to him than you think. So, and obviously it's true. Granted, I'm not psychic. I just already saw this episode at that point. Meanwhile, Bravo decides he wants to challenge Baron. Of course, you know, Kaito, he's of course going to fight. Unfortunately, Kaito, while a good fighter, still gets bested by Baron, even using invests against him. Kaito, of course, is pride. He wants to defeat him. Bravo, in a rare show of interest, throws his Loxie back to him. Previous two Loxies he kept from Kurokage and Gridon. He says he wants to fight him again someday after he trains and gets better. Anyway... That was a nice little thing, but here's the main part of it. During the Gaim stage show, more dancing. You know how I love my dancing. Mm, uh, mm, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and Gaim is not only back on stage, but they have a pretty good little crowd. People are really digging the show and stuff. Of course, Bravo swaggers in. He's like, oh, you know, you kids don't know anything. I will show you true artistry. He's like, basically says they're crap dancers, which got a little bit of a giggle out of me. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> you're ruining the fine arts with your Philistine dancing, basically. He's, he's all pissy about it. It's funny, though, how they kind of turn it around on him. They're like, we're not here to be, like, fine arts. Like, we're just there to have fun and dance, so go fuck off, you know? <laughs> Get out of your ball. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's interesting because, you know, I, I could see both points of view where you're like, oh, if you're going to do something, you know, like, you know, you should be master at it or, or, or have some experience at it. But then again, it's like, you know, they're, they're not just doing it just to be masters. They're doing it also because they have fun doing it, you know? So it's like, just because you're not an expert at playing video games doesn't mean you can't, you know, have fun playing them, you know? As many Let's Players on YouTube will attest to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Kota comes around and he gets his buddy Mitchie, who is the favorite character of fellow fan hole Justin. Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Justin. We miss you, man. <laughs> Unlike the earlier fight where it was two basic noob scrubs going up against Bravo, obviously Koda, he's the star of the series, and Mitchie is not a bad, you know, common rider, you know, Ryugan is pretty powerful. So they, they give him a good fight, but then Bravo decides and this is where it's really funny. As an adult and uh, this master tactician, he's supposed to, like, have these great plans. He just opens up all the lock seats he's gathered from all these riders. He's uh, not riders, but all these uh, beat riders, beat dancers he's beaten. Man, if I say that's three times fast. Beat riders he's beaten, beat dancers. Ugh. All the dancing well, it is, clubs. It is, it is technically the beat rider saga. So, you know, yeah. you just got to say that, like, three times fast. Beat rider saga. <laughs> beat rider saga. Beat rider saga. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But he, he pulls a big, like, you know, he pulls a boner. All these invests, he just lets go, and he doesn't know how to control them. And well, he, like, he, yeah. he mentions that he's he's mimicking Kaito. You know, like, when Kaito and him had that big fight, and he kicks the shit out of him. Like, one of the things that, that Kaito tries is, instead of fighting him one-on-one, he's like, look, I'll just bust out these three invests and have them gang up on 
you know, Bravo, like I had them gang up on other people. Now, Bravo makes short work of the three invests and then goes on to kick his ass, but he respected that tactic that he had an ace up his sleeve and he had alternate plans and everything. So now that he had all these different lock seeds with the, the invest monsters, he's like, oh, I'll just do what that other kid did. But he doesn't really understand how to actually control what he's unleashed upon all these dancers and their fans, you know, at this little stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of goes, it kind of backfires on him because the MS are even attacking him, which he's like, I'm your commander, you know, follow my orders. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, there's so many MS, they're actually doing a pretty good job of giving Michi and Coda a little bit of run for their money. However, Michi, if you saw the previous episode, he stole a lock seed from his brother Takatora. This is the watermelon lock seed, or also known as Suika lock seed. He tosses it to Koda. Koda's like, hell yeah, I've got something new. Does his little does his little pose. A giant, huge watermelon comes out of the sky. And I hate to say this because I know this is a kid's show, but as an adult, it was like kind of almost sexual. It was like, it's so big, I can't handle it. Well, I, I um, guess uh, for me, like, you know, basically it's it's – a massive watermelon that's probably the size of like, you know, seven or eight people that's about to, you know, and in most cases when they do the transformation, the orange is probably, you know, a third of a person's size, you know, and it just kind of slowly, you know, ports onto their head and then all the sides like peel and it reveals, yeah. you know, a, a kind of, you know, yeah, shoulder pads and, and that form of armor. But this, like everybody was like, oh my God, like, you know, they're like, you know, Kota's dead because it crushed him. You know, like that's that's kind of how they view it and everything. And then when it when it actually transforms or whatever, like I, for me, I was like, oh, this is kind of like if the Hulkbuster armor was like a gigantic watermelon. You know, like yeah. that's kind of how I look <laughs> at it. You know, Veronica. But yeah, yeah, Kota does get control of it. He spins around in a wrecking ball attack, taking out a lot of the invests, pretty much most of them. But one of the invests managed to get a hold of a lock seed. And he eats all the drop lock seeds that Bravo dropped. And he turns into one of the massive invest monsters that we've seen before, the CGI monsters that look like bulls or dragons or what have you. And then Coda, you know, turns into his, what is it called here? I'm looking it up right now. These names, man, these names. Well, he turns into a giant suit of armor, <laughs> basically. And with that, Tsuki Arms, that's what it called. And because of its size and its strength, he's able to, you know, give it a couple of good whacks. The beast runs off. Koda takes off after it in his wrecking ball form, throwing a vehicle lock seed to Michi so he can have a bike to chase him. They take out the big bull-looking end vest with the Suki Sojento Razor finishing attack, just in time for Bravo to come up for our comedy moment of the episode. <laughs> he's all full of piss and vinegar, and he's like, you know, I will destroy you, and then his beeper goes off, and he has to go bake some pie crusts. So he'll be back later on. <laughs> Well, it's funny, though, because it's interesting how you it's like basically he's he's basically kicked everybody's ass up until this point, And now they've actually driven him away from the stage. So even though he hasn't definitively been beaten by them, he's he's acquiesced and, and they retain control of the stage. So, I mean, to, to, you know, the DJ guy, it's like to Sakahara, it's like, oh, well, he lost, you know, and it's and it's kind of interesting because even as he's like 
comedically like running away and tripping all over himself. He's kind of like, no, you haven't heard the last of me, you know, see, <laughs> and he's just yeah. kind of running off like that, which I think is kind of funny. Cause it's like, they, it, it's weird because the way he treats the kids, you know, in that sense, you kind of want to see him get smacked down and, but n- they didn't smack him down so hard that the fun of using him as a character in the rest of the series can't be explored. You know, obviously he can, he can come back in future episodes and kind of, you know, torment or or help as needed, you know? Yeah, he wasn't made out to be a joke. He, I mean, yes, he's comedic, he, but that's just his character overall. He's kind of a funny guy. Yeah. But as far as his battle prowess, he wasn't shown to be, like, just destroyed. He's like, no, I'm still, you know, I'm still in this. I can still take you guys down. So that, that was really cool. As you mentioned, though, Sagara, due to the fact that Bravo didn't win and Gaim kept their stage, Team Guy goes to the first rank. They are the best dance team in Zawami City. Good job, guys. Finally, though, we get kind of a bittersweet moment for Coda as Mai comes into the Guy clubhouse, and she bought a cake from Charmant. Uh, Charmant is the bakery that Bravo runs, so he's like, he's a little bit, you know, butthurt over that. But you know, he'll get I, I, When I was watching that, I was like, I wouldn't eat that fucking cake either. <laughs> Fuck that cake. I don't care if it's good. Get that cake out of my face. Fuck that dirty guy. Fuck that shit. Overall, this this episode was for two things. It was to further establish Oren slash Bravo as a definite thorn in the sides of not just Coda and Team Gaim, but also all the writers. He doesn't like any of them. He thinks they're all kids. There's also, of course, the push for new toys with the watermelon arms. But hey, I don't care. It was pretty cool, so I'm, I'm not I'm not angry about that. Yeah, I, I think all these are like advertisements for for some kind of product placement type thing. Like, I'm like, the more of these I watch, it's like, oh, I wonder how many figure arts this is going to get me to want to buy as soon as I finish watching this series or whatever. Because you know, there's all yeah, I'm, I'm already like, I like pineapple arms, you know. <laughs> you know, so it's like you're like, oh man, you know. So so you're already like thinking about that stuff. I, I think it's funny though, like in terms of Bravo, like how he, he has that weird. You know, he's in his in his armor, but then he has that scene where he he calls people out on television. You know, like you said, how he kind of thinks of them as kids. Like, basically, he kind of calls them like amateurs, like they don't know how to wield the power correctly. You know, it's 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 not in the hands of anybody who could, you know, use it to its full potential, basically, is what he's sort of accusing them of. So and I, I did think it was kind of funny just to see him on TV, you know, kind of, it was almost very super villain-ish in a way, you know, like, you know, you get, it reminded me of like the Red Skull on TV or something like that, where he's like, I feel Captain America, you know, and it's <laughs> okay, like, sure. don't face me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like that, that kind of vibe to, to how he kind of sold himself when he was putting himself out there, you know, to, to sort of, I guess, uh, you know, basically he, he, he kind of referred to it almost like, it's a blood sport, you know, it's, it's for the fans, like the fans clamor for this and I'm going to give them what they want, you know, so. Yeah, he definitely has like a very entertainer aura about him when he's fighting. He's like, you know, are you not entertained? You know? and, and of course, even though those are the two main thrusts, of course, for, for older gents like me and Derek, probably one of the more interesting things, again, was the little tiny, not very long segment with the whole Illuminati of, like, you know, the Yggdrasil. That, that that kind of stuff is always really entertaining because it wasn't the main plot, but is, of course, part of the larger plot of the entire series. And it's kind of cool to see all those guys like, oh, what the hell? These guys are, like, the, you know, in charge of this shit? 
Yeah, you're you're getting more pieces of the the I guess the conspiracy, if you will, is being unraveled for you. It's being it's being peeled like a nice piece of fruit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. And so I mean, you 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 start to see how all the pieces on the board are actually connected. You know, you've got Michi and his brother. You know, you've got Sid, who's also taken all the the lock seeds to to the beat riders, basically. But then you also see that. You know, DJ Sahara is in on it too. So it's like they're all they're all give and take, and all these you know hands are waxing the other and type stuff. So it's it's interesting. I mean, it it it, it, it I I'd say I mean you know going back to I know we we kind of I don't know if we've done this on every episode, but I mean I'd say this is a a decent you know three to four pineapple episode. You know, it was a good episode. I I, I, would, I would give this a solid. Uh... I think I think I would actually give it a four and a half actually because I really like watermelon arms and Arsuka arms. As I mentioned before, Bravo is one of my favorite writers just because he's so outrageous and he's very very entertaining. So I guess I am entertained. <laughs> nice, nice. He's doing his job then. So yeah, so so definitely like four four pineapples for Great Ball Watermelon Big Bang. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Next up, continuing the anthology story type of way the story is told, we have Bedon's new power, Mango. So obviously you can tell this is about, you know, Kaito, obviously. Basically, in a nutshell, Kaito is a little butthurt. He got his ass handed to him by Bravo. He feels like he's not strong enough. He even sees Kota getting stronger. He's not happy about that. So he's like... Yeah, not happy. He, he's wanting to fix this little situation. While he's feeling sorry for himself, we have Michi looking at his sweet loxy, the watermelon loxy. Oddly, it's not green anymore. It looks like it's burnt out. And he's wondering if maybe something's going on. Maybe it won't work again. But we'll find out more about that later. My, however, is kind of one of the uh, big focuses on this episode. You mean, you mean my, my girlfriend, my? Yeah, she's the big episode, big focus of the episode, definitely. Yeah, um, Derek's girlfriend. Uh, if you if you guys remember in the pretty much the series debut, one of the things was is they found a rip in time and space that led to a weird forest. Well, Mai's walking around Zawami City and sees some weird flowers. She's like, what's going on? And lo and behold, she looks down an alleyway, and there's another rip in time and space. Of course, Mai being Mai, She's like, I should go in. She tries to call Coda. Coda is doing his usual shtick of failing horribly at his current job of the day. <laughs> and she enters into Helheim Forest again. She's still wanting to find Yuya. I'm like, that dude's dead. I wouldn't even worry about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they still think he's in there somewhere. So, like, I guess she's trying to do the sensible thing. Like, she, she basically calls them and is like, oh, come with me. But then since it goes to voicemail, she's like, well, I don't know if this thing's going to disappear or not. And maybe there's, you know, on the off chance she can find Yuya, who is their missing friend. You know, she she kind of, you, you know, you I guess... I think this is a good example of a, a strong female lead where it's like, I, I guess you could argue, oh, you're dumb, girl. Why are you going through that tear, you know, or whatever. But to me, I'm like, well, at least she's strong about it. I mean, and she's doing it for the right reasons. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like she, she doesn't have the, the good intentions and she's... Her heart's she's in the right place. Yeah, and, and, and she's a strong enough person. Like, she's got the balls to actually go through the tear by herself, you know. So I, I, I think those are all good points in her favor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mai is definitely not a not a wimp at all. I mean, 
for all the uh, stuff you hear in media about no strong female roles. I mean, here's one on a damn kids TV show. So there you go. Unfortunately, my while she's wandering around Helheim is attacked by Invest because they kind of live there. <laughs> she unfortunately, even though she's a strong character as far as her mind and her like bravery, she's not a common writer. She can't really take the Invest by herself. But it's okay. Naitov Spear is here, and Kaido actually saves her, which is not really out of the question as far as he goes, but definitely not something you expect as far as how much he seems to dislike Team Gaim. But there you go. He does. It's revealed that Kaito, because of his aforementioned hurt pride, is looking for new Oxies. He wants some new power. And Mai decides to tell him about the portal she found, because obviously... Maybe Kaito's like, you know, he didn't think about it right then, but how did Mai get here? She doesn't have a, you know, locked bike. Anyway, they try to wander back to where Mai came in. It's not there anymore. The uh, entrance is sealed up, which is par for the course. It happened in the first episode. So these rips in space don't seem to last very long. Kaito is still kind of uh, not just hurting in pride, but also hurting physically from his fight with Bravo, as well as fighting some investigate lock seeds. And Kaido actually kind of oddly opens up, is that his family lost everything when Yggdrasil Corporation came into Zawame, and basically what they did was they more or less destroyed, like, the slums and, like, you know, the lesser, you know, pretty parts of the city, and rebuilt it into the new sparkling Zawame. So that's kind of messed up. Mile well, actually reveals... Oh, good. No, no, I was just going to say, it also seems like, you know, for the reveal of his backstory, you, you get the idea of where he gets his strength philosophy from. It's because he, he decides that Yggdrasil is the, the strongest presence in the town, you know, and basically they were strong enough to tear down his own father's fat. You know, basically it sounds like, based on the, the visuals you get, you know, where his, the factory where his father worked, you know, was basically torn down, and in its place was the big corporation that is rebuilt that's standing there now, you know? So it's like, you see through those flashbacks a, a young Kaito, you know, kind of saying hello to his father, but th to, to him now, he's like, well, it was almost obvious. Like, they were the strongest force in the town, so of course, you know, my father was weak, that company was weak, and it got wiped out, you know? And, and that's where his his attitude comes from. That's where his philosophy comes from. I mean, even when, even in the last episode when he was talking about Bravo, you know, basically Kota had a problem with what Bravo was saying, and, and Kaito's attitude is, well, look, if you've got a problem with what this guy's saying, then be stronger than him, kick his ass, and tell him what you think. You know, like, that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind of that's where he comes from. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's a very... Uh, simple, but it, it's, it's a simple. It's a simple attitude, but but it's something that you can certainly appreciate. You know, I mean, you know, there, there, it's not like there's never been a time where you know someone disagreed with you, and you're like, well, as long as I you know prove to them that that my point is correct. You know, like, and, and that's the way he knows how to get that across. I mean, you can you can sit there and be eloquent and well spoken and if you don't have the money or the power or the strength to sort of bring forth those thoughts and ideas, it doesn't matter because somebody who's, who's stronger in those arenas can just kind of wipe you out and tune you out. I mean, you know, so it's it, th those kind of situations, you know, you're, you're seeing 
basically from childhood how he shaped his own you know philosophy and why he thinks the way he does. I mean, it, it doesn't ma- it might not necessarily explain why he stepped in for my, but you know, I mean, in that case, like it's like he did what he felt like he should do, but it's not like he's going to babysit her either. I mean, when they start walking through the forest, he's kind of like, why, why are you following me? You know, like, and and she's like, I'm not following, you know, I'm just trying to get to the, to the crack, you know? And and then that's when they kind of sit down and she's sort of tending to his wounds because she realized he's actually like seriously hurt. And, and then they sort of share their, their stories and everything. And then my kind of goes into, it's funny how she also, considers herself an orphan of the city as well and that she does not like the Yidrizzle Corporation because of of how it affected her family. I mean, the insinuation is her, her parents died, you know, like because yeah. of their moving into the town and everything. And, you know, and, and but I guess Mai's attitude is, you know, her, her dance troupe is her strength. You know, her, her, yeah. her, the way she entertains people is where she, she brings strength to, to the situation. And, and it's interesting because Kaito doesn't see it that way. You know, he's kind of like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, like, <laughs> it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't understand that, that Ka- there is a Kaito strength is, to be had from that. Ka- you know? Yeah, Kaito is very much like about physical strength. And, and not just like, like, you know, muscles and stuff, but like, you know, surviving battles and like fighting your way to the top. Whereas Maya is very much inner strength. She's like, you know, I see people get up every day and like they go on no matter all the hardships. If I can make those people smile, like that is me helping get people strength, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny because when I, when I uh, saw the title of the episode was, you know, about, you know, Baron's new power, I was like the real, the real title of the episode should have been my and Kaito's excellent adventure, you know, in the (laughs) Helheim forest or whatever, you know? So, yeah, yeah, like 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 Beauty Bus said, this is definitely a my heavy episode, which there's nothing wrong with because I, I must say, even though she's not going out with me, Derek's girlfriend is quite quite attractive. Um, <laughs> I I well, I just I enjoyed the episode. I mean, I liked seeing the glimpses of backstories and all that kind of stuff. And then oh, you yeah. know, it's it's cool. I I I I kind of I I like I like Kaito. Like I mean, you know, for for all his flaws and faults, I mean, there, there's a lot to appreciate about the character. I mean, he's a good he's a good rival for Kota, and it's it's interesting that they can have you know, Mai and him can have common ground whereas you know you might think at the outset if he's a rival and he's a big duty head and he's the antagonist you know they wouldn't have any common ground whatsoever but it's interesting that they can can sort of share this moment you know and kind of maybe put her between them you know like i don't know if that that leads to any kind of you know love triangle later down the road or just any kind of conflict of of philosophy or anything like that but but i think it's an interesting setup yeah yeah definitely Speaking of Coda, he finally gets the message that Mai sent him, and he goes off to find her. He uh, takes off on his hurricane, realizing that there's still, like, a few traces of the flowers left from Helheim Forest. And he's like, oh, shit, Mai's in Helheim. i got to go save her. Meanwhile, Mitsuzani, slash Michi, whatever you want to call him, I think asshole is what Justin calls him, <laughs> he gets a message that Sid, the Lockseed dealer, is at Team Gaim's garage. Oh, shit, you know, we've got, we've got bad mojo in, in the home base. He tells everybody to leave the garage when Sid is kind of pretty much reveals that he's on to him. Because he's like, there's a watermelon lock seed missing from your brother, and I don't know who could have taken that, you know? And he's like, you know, pretty much, you took it. Mitchie, however, is being quite the little sneaky bastard. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, maybe I did take the lock seed. 
Or maybe this really, like, shady luck dealer conned me into taking the watermelon seed. Who knows? And he basically tells him, you know what? I want to go save mine because Mitchie crushes on mine, too. And he's like, give me a bike. You don't really see that, but that's inferred because later on, Mitchie does indeed take off for Hellheim Forest. I don't think I ever had a chance to mention this because I think you guys covered the episodes with the the introduction of the Lockseed bikes, and I wasn't around, but... I, I just, I can't help myself. Like, man, Gaim's bike is the ugliest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, I it doesn't, like, who decided, like, see, that's something, like, I don't get. It's like, I get the aspect of, like, the, the theme and the fruit and all that other stuff, but it's like, if you're an orange, like, wouldn't you think he would have, like, an orange bike or a black bike or a, a light blue bike or, you know, you know something that goes with, with his color scheme you know like it, it just seems like yeah. to me like it's like that guy who like wears a green shirt and then puts on like a pink tie with blue stripes and you're just like ah you know like like <laughs> what is my eyes you know i feel like i'm doing like the professor x thing but instead of my mind it's like my eyes you know or whatever because like yeah. i'm like what why pink like it, to me it seems like if if there was going to be a pink motorcycle like shouldn't like you know the the pink go kaiger rioted or so you know what i mean like like i'm just kind of like or, why why is or, like, or even, even even the clash you know you can see bravo riding a pink bike you know? well no 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 but even even no to me like i'm just saying the color schemes like because because michi gets his own bike right and it doesn't look so out of place I mean, he gets what yeah. like a purple bike right and yeah it's like a darker and, like and, violet and, purple bike yeah. yeah and he's grape so to me, I'm like, duh, you know, but it's like, when's the last time you saw a pink orange? I mean, I'm just like, come on, man, this is, you know, it's not, it's not too complicated, guys, but, you know, and it's, anyway. it's got like a big flower on the headlight, too, which is just weird looking, so. Yeah, yeah, kind of weird bikes. <laughs> I agree, yeah. Yeah, definitely one of the weaker aspects of this is like for a common rider show where the, the main character rides around on a motorcycle, not a great motorcycle, just saying. And then um, I, just just for later on, I just want to bring up that everybody note that basically like they they both come through the tears and everything, and they're both headed to the Helheim Forest to save Mai. But just note that when they actually get out of the city, like they or out of the city, out of the Helheim Forest, like they don't bring their bikes with them. So I just I. I, I I'm going to go with, like, off-camera, they turn them back into lock seeds, and they put their lock seeds wherever they put their lock seeds in their ass or whatever, you know? Oh, you, you, so you think you think somehow they they took them with them when they jumped through the tear? Yeah, I mean, I imagine. I don't know. It's but, weird, because it seems like there's lots of definites where then, and then I see stuff again, and I'm confused. That's another thing I was going to ask about, because you mentioned, like, specifically... You know, I, I don't know their names, but, you know, Chip and Dale, the, the acorn and the porcupine riders yeah. or whatever. Like, I'm yeah. just going to call them Chip and Dale because I don't know their names. But so Chip and Dale get their lock seats taken from them by Bravo. But then in some episodes, we're going to discuss uh, a few, you know, down the road here. Like, they can armor up again. And I'm just kind of like, how? Like, didn't you well, get your ass kicked? and? Well, I think it's, it's it's heavily inferred that certain lock seeds and light bears, especially, are kind of not rare items. They can just go to, like Sid and be like, "I need another acorn lock seed. What do I have to do?" Oh, uh, okay. 
But, yeah, All right. But, I, I, can, I, can, I can appreciate that if that's the case. I just don't think I was aware of that in context of the story. But I, I didn't mean to take us on too much of a tangent, but basically they're, you know, Michi and and Kota are basically headed to the Helheim Forest to to save Mai, so. Yeah, yeah. And basically, in, in a nutshell, Cody gets there first, but he falls off a cliff, and he kind of knocks himself out for a few minutes. After he yeah, well, I guess, I guess that's the, the problematic thing of, of having these bikes that warp through to the Helheim Forest. Like, they, there doesn't seem to be any schematics or, or, or calculations. It's not like Battlestar Galactica, where they're like, you know, quick, calculate the jump to hyperspace so we don't, you know, hyper into a planet. You know, it's like there's no there's no calculations being made. So when the bike finally gets there, it's this kind of almost Warner Brothers-esque scene where the bike and him are just past this large cliff. And then the bike falls out from underneath him. And then he looks down and he's still like, stuck in the rider position and he's kind of like, ah, <laughs> and he falls into the fucking grass or whatever that's below. So, but I, I mean, obviously the armored form, you know, protects him, but there is that kind of goofy Warner brothers, wildy coyote moment that he has there. Yeah. It was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was funny. After he awakens, he's wondering, I guess attacked by a couple of invests. He's okay though. Even though he's uh, overpowered our boy, Mitchie. Yeah. He, he, he Mitchie. He comes in uh, in Ryugan form and definitely helps out. They proceed to go together. While they're walking, Koda reveals to Ryugan that the Hellheim Force is where the Loxies come from. And he even picks one of them and it turns into a Kiwi Loxied. Now, Ryugan does, which is uh, Michi. So, haha, Michi's got a new power. Meanwhile, Kaito and Mai, they find a new portal back to Zawame. But they get attacked by a big dragon-looking Inves. According to the writer wiki, it's called the Siryu Invest. Baron transforms, and he finds out the Banana Spear does jack crap. Daim and Ryugan show up, but even they can't help. This guy, like, every time they hit him, it's just this dull clang. It's like he's just super armored. Michi is told by Koda to grab Mai and run off through the portal so they can at least get away. Not too long afterwards, Koda and Kaito are both thrown through the portal by the Invest, who soon follows after. And then we get our big fight. For for a few minutes, Gaim and Baron pretty much get their asses kicked. Then Kota decides, this knife ain't working, this orange saber that Derek loves so much. But it's okay, because Derek also likes pineapple arms. So he gets his big pineapple mace, and it starts to deal some damage. Then Baron's like, well, heck, I got something like that, but it's something we've never seen. It's the mango lock seed. And now instead of knight of spear... He turns into, I'm sorry, I just like Kaito's transformation things. He has the Mango Punisher, which is just a, pretty much a giant spiky mango on a long stick. I don't know what you would really call that weapon. I guess a mace as well, but it's not on a chain. But now, with these two blunt objects that seem to do a lot more damage, what, they take what out... What do they, they call that, what, the Mango Punisher or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah mango Punisher, uh, pulverize and destroy. <laughs> but yeah, with this this new power... They are able to take out the dragon pretty quickly. Then, with all that said and done, it's kind of funny that Mitsuzani is the one who realized, Michi, that with all these portals popping up, if Mai goes to Helheim and gets lost, maybe investors are coming to um, Zawame and getting lost. 
and we see that this is indeed true as uh, investors are already begun attacking people. So that's definitely not good. And we also get a little scene where Mai is very grateful to Kaito, and he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's what I do. <laughs> but yeah, this was a pretty good episode. Obviously, like you said, Derek, the star of this is Mai and Kaito, and it was a really good little character-building episode for them. Yeah, I guess I guess for the episode, it's definitely Mai and Kaito. For the product placement, the star of this episode is the Figure Arts 2-pack Mango Arms and Pineapple Arms box set, which it's tempting me to buy because I want pineapples. Pineapples! Yeah, that, that's, that's what it seems to be hawking, at least in that sense. Yeah, I like the Pineapple Arms a lot, but you got to admit, the Mango Arms is kind of badass. No, 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 I think they're both cool. I think that's why they come in a two-pack, so it's like one of those things where I'm like, God damn it, you make me want to buy things, show. More, more tempting, damn you. And, and yeah, basically, like I said, we, we pretty much talked to death about this as we were going through the synopsis, so I don't think there's really a whole lot to reveal. Not a lot of shady stuff. It's more of a direct battle thing. Most of the character development is, you know, not part of the bigger picture. It's like just getting to know your character, so... Again, I'm going to I'm gonna go a little bit lower. I'm going to give this one a definite four pineapples out of five. I'm going to give it four and a half pineapples. It featured my girlfriend, and it had some <laughs> cool fight scenes, and, and I do enjoy the whole pineapple mango arms upgrade. And I, I think I like seeing it when, when Kota and Kaito are the guys to step up and do the ass-kicking. So it's like I, I enjoy that more than, you know, having, like, either Bravo or Zenketsu or one of those guys come in and just totally lay the smack down because they're supposed to be the big bads or whatever. I like it when... Yeah, and I do appreciate that in this episode, and, and even last episode with the watermelon armor and everything, like, there there was that weird sense for me where since Zangetsu, you know, the White Rider, like, totally kicked the shit out of... Kota in the previous episodes, like that he he was kind of shell shocked, you know. He was basically in this this you know funk, you know. And I was like, I'm glad, like by this episode, and certainly certainly at the tail end of the last episode, it's like Kota is out of his paralyzed funk, you know. Once and for yeah. all, it seems like he's, to me, he's and I'm like, I'm like, cool. He's he's back to being like a heroic, you know, orange slice of justice or whatever. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, good. I feel good now again. Like it's not like he's sitting there, you know hold up in his bedroom, hugging his pillow, going, oh, my God, I'm afraid to go outside. You know, like, so I'm yeah. like, okay. I, I mean, I appreciate that that had to happen in that moment, but I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's, he seems to be, you know, past that as much as he can be, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely over the Peter Parker walking away with the uh, Spider-Man outfit and the trash can cover, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the um, orange, the orange peel is all in the trash can and everything. <laughs> it's like, it's like orange arms, no more. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, good episode, though. Lock off. Lock on. But as, as we said, this, this show... Everything keeps going forward. There's, like, not really a whole lot of standalone episodes. So the next one goes right into what we left off. This one's called the Monster Invest Capture Battle. As I said, Mitsuzani, Michi, he was like, what if, like, you know, Invest come to our world? Like, real Invest. Not the ones from the Loxies, like, real, legit Invest. And, you know, Kodoro was like, oh, shit, you're right. 
and they decide, well, well, Coda decides that maybe if they get all the beat writers to work together, including, you know, the guys who have warring drivers, they might be able to patrol the city and actually do something positive. And, you know, but of course, you know, Kaito, he's not going to be down with this. And he's like, you guys are number one. Why would we help you? And he's like, and trust me, like, Raid Wild and Team Invito, they're they're not going to help you. They're pretty pretty much, you know, comes to pass is true. Yeah, I like so, I like how he's just kind of like, hey, you guys are number one. If you want to go and kick some invest ass, like, go ahead. Like, I'm not going to stop you. You know? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he just doesn't care. He's he, much, you know. Well, he he's like that's that's what comes with being you know at the top of the game. You know, like you 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 have other responsibilities now that you're at top. You know, so yeah. We see uh, the invest we saw earlier. Well, not earlier, but in the end of the last episode. It's called a Komori invest, which looks a lot like a bat. And he attacks, oh, no, not Fruit Guy. The guy from the Fruit Bar. Yeah, I think his name is, like, Bunta or whatever, right? Like, I think. Uh, I don't know. Some, uh, something like that. According to this is Bando. Oh, so. Bando. Okay. I knew it was with a B, so. But, yeah. Yeah. He, he's uh, got a nice Fruit Bar. I wouldn't want him to die. He makes some nice little fruit mobob things for them. I like his fruit bar. Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier that like if you like you actually were, like lived in that city, you're like that looks tasty. I could eat there. <laughs> I, I would I would go there all the time. Yeah, so there you go, Bando. You know, actually there you go, Bandai. Make a real fruit bar in America. Like Derek would totally eat there. However, he's lucky because Kota and I run up and find them and like you know because that, that's what they're trying to do. They're like, okay, screw you, other teams. We'll do it ourselves. And they try to patrol the city. He busts out one of Derek's favorite forms, the Ichigo Lock Seed, which is the Strawberry Arms. Woo! And, <laughs> and he just can't, just can't get this guy. And mainly it's because this invest knows how to fly. He's throwing the little daggers of kunai knives at him, and he's getting really pissed off. So, unfortunately, no luck. We cut to Michi later on. And apparently the Suica, the Watermelon Arms Lock Seed, has turned back to full green. So... Anybody wondering if we're never going to see that again? Don't worry. It just needs to recharge. I think it's like one of those, I think it was like implied as like, since it's such a like overpowered weapon that like is definitely a huge advantage, you can't use it all the time, you know? So I'm pretty sure that's what they were going with with that. He's confronted by his brother as he goes to his, you know, stately Wayne Manor that he thinks somebody, that a beat writer may have stolen that, you know, lock seat. Of course, you know, Mitchie's like, does he suspect, you know? Of course, all that good stuff. Then, next day, Team Guy is like, okay, we got to catch this vampire thing, you know, this, this bat creature. So they're going to patrol the city and keep in contact, you know, pretty much do like a citizen's watch. A couple of funny things during this, Coda scares the crap out of an old lady who she thinks that he's a monster because he's like, have you seen this monster? <laughs> he meets up with Michi and like, they actually figure out something that, hey, wait a minute, when the... Bat creature attacked Bonda. He wasn't attacking Bonda. He was actually trying to get the fruit. And then when he saw the fruit, he was like, this ain't what I want. All the infest creatures like to eat the Helheim Forest fruit. So they're like, okay, well, that's our plan. They go to the Helheim Forest. Michi, again, being really smart, he's like, Koda's like, we can't touch the fruit. It turns into lock seeds. But if you're not in your rider form and you're just a human, you can actually pluck this, the fruit and uh, handle it. 
put it into a Ziploc bag, close that bitch up, and they take on out of there. <laughs> now, now I know Tony's no prize is that they took the the bikes with them when they went through those tears in the last episode. But this was the point where I was kind of like scratching my head because I honestly thought, like, because when I was watching the context of the last episode, I was like, wait, I thought they abandoned their bikes, you know, to hurry up and jump through the tear with my, you know. So I, because I, they're as far as I was concerned, their bikes were on the ground, you know, and I didn't know that they, you know, somehow reabsorbed them or, you know, what have you, you know. So at that point I was kind of like, how did they get their bikes back, you know. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's just a guess on my part, speculation, you know. Never, never know, like, like I mean, might have been a legit, you know, mistake. It's kind of cool, though, Mitchie kind of stepping up and not just being, like, the crappy Robin to Coda's Batman, actually being more like Nightwing to, like, Coda's Batman. <laughs> After that, they uh, take off, and they're going to try to basically bait the bat creature, which, after a couple, again, little funny little moments, my favorite part is, like, while they're waiting, they're kind of, like, sticking out the guy in the headquarters, and they got this, this piece of fruit hanging on a string. And all of them are, like, hidden and stuff. But the funniest thing is that Coda is in his orange arms form, and his, like, little head ornament, the, like, spiky thing is poking out of the trash can lid, he's hiding in a trash can. Yeah, I liked, when, I liked when they kept poking their heads up out of the trash can lid and stuff like that, their little urban cover, you know, where they're trying to wait for the... And then and then what was funny was, I, I thought maybe, like, the ASPCA would, like, have a field day, because there's, like, all these scenes where, you know, everything is interfering with this piece of fruit that they're trying to use to lure the invests into their trap. So you, you've got a scene with all these little kids coming home from school trying to play with it, and they're like, hey, go do your homework, get the fuck out of here. And then that same old lady comes back and, you know, is like, what are you doing? You know, why are you scaring me again? And then there's like all these crows and, and ravens or whatever that are trying to get at the fruit, and they're like, no, don't peck my eyes out, leave me alone and stuff. But then the next scene, you see like all these crow feathers, you know, like on the floor, and I was just kind of like, obviously it's not real, but I just thought it was funny because they'd be like, why are you killing crows for your investment? Yeah. And it's kind of funny because they kind of drag Code away, and he, he's obviously a little bit upset that he like lost his temper and killed a bunch of crows. He's like, why? Why did I do it? However, after many failed attempts, they actually do finally yield success, and the vampire slash bat, whatever you want to call it, invest, takes the bait, and he comes down to steal the fruit. The riders jump into action, and even though they kind of get their ass kicked, more or less, I mean, not really, they just kind of don't, they fail to capture it or fail to destroy it. Mitchie, again, being smart, slaps his, slaps Trip. a bag on the... Huh? I'm all prep time, Mitchie. I know, right? <laughs> like Batman and the shit out of this. He slaps this kind of like case on the back of his back, and inside the case is his phone, which has a tracking device uh, app, I guess you'd call it. So they're going to be like, they're like, oh, they got away, and like Mitchie explains this, and they're like, heck yeah, cool. So they go to this for a uh, factory, and uh oh, now we're getting like some more of the major plot again instead of just small things. Helheim plants are all over the inside of this factory. So it's kind of shown that when Helheim cracks appear, they might be actually slowly turning our world into a version of the Helheim forest. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's kinda of like it's kinda of like the, the spores or the seeds, you know, the speculation is that they, they flow through and then they start growing on like all the stairwells and walls and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. 
the, due to them being in an enclosed space with no way to fly away, Coda and Michi make short work of the bat invests this time, taking it out pretty handily. However, they see there's more invests. The little gray guys, like the, I guess you would call them the putties of the invest, the kind of normal ones. They see them eating the fruit and stuff. But lo and behold, who comes out? But Zengetsu, the white armored rider, is here. Derek mentioned like him having PTSD from his fight. And even now that he's back to form, just seeing Zengetsu, he's kind of like, oh shit, you know? He's not freaking out, but he's like, I don't like this, <laughs> you know? However, Zangetsu's not there for them. He's uh, there with some of the researchers, and they have flamethrowers. After handily taking out the invest, the, foot, the researchers burn everything to the ground, and they're like, they're covering it up. They're like, they don't want the public to know that invests are invading. You know, this is not cool. Then uh, Michi sees the lock seed on the belt, and he puts two and two together. It was the same lock seed that he saw in his brother's briefcase. And he's like, you know, obviously, what the hell? Oh, my God. He's uh, like, oh, no. Uh, our final scene is back at Evil Villain Headquarters. Ryoma, who we didn't mention earlier, that's his name. That's the scientist name. That's the evil scientist name. He says, you know, we got to do something about the portals. They're increasing. And Takatora, he's like, well, you've been making new warring drivers. You know, it's my duty to, like, defend. So I will try this new generation of warring drivers. And that's pretty much where we end this episode. This this was an okay episode, but I, I don't think I liked it as much as I liked the previous two, so I will give it three pineapples. Yeah, it was... I don't know. It, the only thing that was kind of missing on this is it seemed very comedic. It was keeping with the storyline. It kept going. But I never really felt like the invest that they had was really showing as being a real threat. He was more along the lines of, plot. It was like, oh, the invest is here. Oh, the invest eat fruit. Oh, the invest is going back to this, you know, factory where Helheim is coming in. He was like, he was basically there to show what was going on. He wasn't there to actually be like a pretty cool villain for them to fight, you know? Yeah, he was like a means to an end, basically. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, but uh, I agree with you, Derek. I would say no, I'll go three. Yeah, three sounds just about right. But a pretty average episode, a little bit, a little bit above average. Not two and a half, three. So a little bit above average, but still not as good as my and Kaito's awesome adventure, you know. But you know, whatever. They can't all be like, you know, Oscar winning, you know. <laughs> Lock on. But this does bring us into our next episode, episode 10. We got a nice 10 episodes under our belt now, and we're going to Rider Great Assembly, revealing the mystery of the forest. So with a title like that, you know, <laughs> we got something, you know, definitely going on here. Basically, Kota and Michi are trying to, you know, figure out who's the identity of the right, right rider. Of course, Michi has a little bit more to go on to Kota, and he's kind of keeping it from Kota, which is kind of the first seeds that Mitchy is definitely a guy who will keep shit to himself if he thinks it's going to further his own kind of agenda, which is never good. But they decide, okay, we're going to try to figure out about Helheim Forest, the Anvest, and this mysterious white rider. We're going to ask all the other riders again. However, now they got a different idea. Well, actually, he doesn't. 
Mitchie does. Mitchie uh, decides that, you know, he's going to come up with a competition. By the way, this takes place during Christmas. This is a Christmas kind of episode. Not really. But there is definitely, like, Christmassy things in there. Coda's like a store Santa and stuff like that. But, you know, whatever. They're going to invite all the writers to go into the Helheim Forest, revealing to some of the writers for the first time, Ryoji and Hideyasu. He's called Jonichi, like in the dub, so I'll call him Jonichi. Ride Wild and Team Invito, basically the uh, acorn and pine cone guy. Chip and Dale! Uh, Chip and Dale. That for the first time, they find out that there is a Helheim Forest. They didn't even know anything about it. And basically, the whole idea is whoever gets the it's most. It's funny seeds, you you forgot like like when they get the phone call about it like they're actually dressed up as reindeer because it's it's you know Christmas sales time and stuff like Kota is dressed as like your Santa store Santa but there's a like funny exchange where they're talking to each other about the lock seeds and all that stuff and they're like oh I hope Santa gives us a lock seed or whatever you know so. Yeah, and they're like, no, there's about much chances, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, yeah, Coda calls, and they're like, oh, you know, it's almost like Santa. Good enough, you know. Yeah, they they say this is the game. Whoever gets the most lock seeds wins, and it'll affect their rankings. So that's, you know, pretty good for all the other teams. Now, now of course, this is not what Team Dime is really after. Coda and Mitchie are basically wanting to have a diversion for the White Rider to come out, and Mitchie is going to fight alongside the other writers against Zangetsu, fight being being a distraction, while Koda runs off and tries to figure out, like, what the hell's going on. He, yeah, I guess, I guess they're, they're theorizing that they have some kind of home base within the Helheim Forest, so the main goal is that while Grape Arms and all these other guys are in the forest distracting Melon Arms, that, you know, Koda's going to do the Secret Agent 007 thing and try to figure out you know, where this this staging ground or base is in the middle of the Hellheim Forest. Yeah, I mean, Kaito being the uh, sharp cook he is, he's, he's even like, hey, you guys got two riders, you can win this easily. And they're like, no, Koda's sitting this one out. Like, yeah, Koda's not even supposed to be anywhere near the Hellheim Forest as far as the other riders are concerned. So, yeah, pretty cool on that. Of course, Chip and Dale, <laughs> they don't got bikes. They, they didn't leave their bikes anywhere. Derek was postulating earlier, they, they just don't have them. So they have to go to Sid and try to get some luck seeds. And Sid's like, I can have them ready for Christmas, but what's in it for me? And Mitchie, again, being the kind of, uh, I don't know, the middleman, the uh, the uh, the fixer of the group now, <laughs> he's like, well, I'll tell you what, all the luck seeds we get from the competition, they're yours. Whatever we get, you can have. And Sid's like, sounds good, sounds good. The duo go back to Team Guy headquarters, uh, the clubhouse, Mine's a little bit pissed because she's wanting to have, like, a good Christmas and stuff, and, like, they're making, like, these deals. They're making a game when they're on top of the world and they don't have to make this game. And they're like, whoa, 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 calm down, my incredibly beautiful, lovely, strong woman. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually doing this because of the end mess. This is, you know, we have to figure out what's going on with the forest and everything. We had no choice, but we should have told you. We're really, really sorry. You know, like, as long as you're back for the Christmas party, she's like, I guess it'll be okay, and they're like, we will totally be back for the Christmas party. So uh, the day of the game, we assume, you know, right about Christmas time, according to Sid, everybody's getting ready and stuff, and who should appear but Mr. Dangerous? Oren, a.k.a. Common Rider Bravo, jumps in, and he's like, you you didn't invite me, I, was, I want to do this, and they're like, uh, It's like uh, Mr. Patisserie himself. <laughs> yeah. 
And I like how I like how at first they're like, "Oh, but you, oh, but you can't participate because you don't have a bike." And he's like, "Oh, no, 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 no." <laughs> yeah. It is not hard for someone like me to attain such things. Yeah, yeah. Fucking, he's such a jerk. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, they're all getting ready for the big race, the big uh, I guess you'd call it scavenger hunt more or less. Then the whole army of Invest show up. Of course, Bravo is like you know. So I guess this is the first part. He throws a lead pipe and it goes through all the riders. It doesn't hit any of them. It like kind of cuts a cuts a hole and like hits an invest right in the head. And they're fighting the invest. And Kaito's like, you know, is this part of the game? And Michi's like, no. And this is just a fight. And he's like, okay, that's all I need to know. Again, Kaito being the jerk, he is kind of. He's like, all right. He gets his bike and he takes off. He's like, I, I don't know. Win. I don't know if he's a jerk as much as he's like trying to be practical about winning the the game. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wait, yeah. so so th- this is nothing I have to do, right? No. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> now I'm going to leave you guys here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of called him a jerk, but really the big jerk uh, is. Uh, Chip and Dale, yeah, they like throw a fucking uh, lock seed at uh, one of the invests to make it stronger to like give poor Mitchie a little bit of a tough time. I, I was kind of uh, worried that their plan was going to shit because I was like, oh man, now now Kodak yeah, they're getting delayed, help, yeah, help out Michi, and I'm like, well, who's going to distract who? You know, like because it, it, it's funny. It actually reminded me of. You know, spoilers if you haven't seen The Flash, but if you haven't, what the hell's the matter with you? But um, it made me think of the whole thing about how, you know, uh, Barry was getting, like, all the, you know, he got Captain Cold to help him out and everything, and then Cold kind of turns the tables on him, you know, and lets everybody out, you know, when they're trying to transfer yeah. the guys to Lee and you. So it reminded me of the same thing, where it's like, oh, you know, Michi thinks he's hot shit, and he's going to use all these guys to his advantage, but it looks like now, almost like they got used, you know, so I was like, uh-oh, like, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, well, it was definitely like a, oh, well done. You know, because it kind of gives you that anticipation, like, are they actually going to do their plan? We, got, we, we get our toy for this episode as... Mitchie uses the Kiwi arms and has two big-ass circular blades that he cuts the swath through, but he's still having trouble. As you said, Coda does finally make his appearance after all the other riders have gone. And uh, he's like, Mitchie, go. you gotta, you got to be there so I can you know, do my part of the plan. Mitchie throws in the recharged Seiko arms so he can take them out with watermelon, which he does very handily. It takes like five seconds. Then we got everybody in the forest. Takatora finds out from his underlings there's a massive amount of riders in the forest, which pisses him off. And our episode pretty much ends with a very ominous scene where we, we see him turn into Zangetsu for the first time. Because usually he's just the white rider when he shows up. And by heaven's decree, <laughs> he is Zangetsu, met in arms. And he takes off into what we also see for the first time in the bowels of Yggdrasil's giant tower what looks like uh, a tree, and it's got this giant rip crack, uh, as they come to call it, that is obviously shows that, like, they have a camp set up in uh, Helheim, but their base of operations is, is actually Yggdrasil Corporation proper, and that's where we end this part, so definitely to be continued in the next episode. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I guess the, the not-so-subtle naming of the the corporation, you know, obviously it's a big tower, but it's very much like this huge tree. And then literally within the corporation, it is a tree, 
you know, yeah. from the Helheim, you know, from this, this mythical forest and everything. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, as far as this one goes, a lot of really good action. You know, Mitchie again showing, like, signs of, you know, Batman prep time and coming up with, you know, ideas and plans for them to get things done. Just just all around, like, you know, pretty pretty good building as far as the main story. The, the, the game is also good because you have all these other guys who didn't get a whole lot of time in the last episode with Team Guy pretty much taking the spotlight to get a chance to try to earn rankings and whatnot and all that good stuff. I would give this, since it is the first part of a two-parter, I'd give it three and a half. I, I, I might, I might, I, I think take into account that I enjoyed the second half of it. Like I, I give it four pineapples. I mean, I, I, I think it's cool. It sets up the whole sort of wacky races with common writer stuff going on, you know, like how they're yeah. all gonna, you know, and, and I like how it's not just wacky races, you know, like the wacky races is fun. You, you know, you're going to get to see some cool fights and everything, but it's also a distraction. You know, there's also some another layer to to what's going on. And and it's kind of cool that, like, I mean, you, you might think, like, that I guess because Bravo thinks that Team Gaim is a bunch of Philistines who don't know how to dance or maybe Kaito thinks they're all weak or whatever. Like, it, you know, in this case, like, they're using their heads. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to fight on two different fronts. And for for right now, at any rate, you know, Michi and Kota are acting like a team, you know, so it's like, it's cool from that perspective, you know, they yeah sort of have a plan in place and they couldn't do it without the other, you know, both of them are, both of them are pretty much essential to, to pulling off this, you know, sort of mini scheme of theirs. Yeah, well, while, while things may kind of change later on with Michi, at this point, he, he's definitely very much still someone who admires Kota, and he's like, he he does all this to impress him. He's like, you know, look, I made a plan, you know? Like, you know, he doesn't say that, but, like, that's his thing. He's like, he wants to impress Kota. He wants to impress Mai. He wants his, like, team to think that he's, you know, a worthy common runner and stuff. So he, he's still, like, got noble intentions at this point. But, yeah, that's the, that's the uh, start of the Invest capture game, uh, Lockseed capture game. And, of course, like I said, it... It's not said to be a two-parter, but it's pretty much a two-parter. Oh yeah, yeah. Th- it totally is a two-parter. I mean, it's like you, you, you yeah, you. I, I it's it's funny because I think when I was reading on the wiki, they said something about the Gaim Wizard movie takes place in between these two episodes, and I'm like, how is that even how? possible? <laughs> like, like it has to happen either. It's got to happen after these two episodes because they both. I mean, they're pretty much back to back. Like you have to sort of finish off the, the new episode, you know, the, the, the actual quote-unquote Christmas episode before you get into a new a new storyline or whatever. Yeah, I, I do, yeah, I've seen stuff like that before. I'm like, how does this happen between... It? Uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever, guys. So that brings us to our final episode of this arc. It's called the Children Arc, but it's also called the Beat Riders Arc. Yeah, it's it's basically like Beat Riders Saga, but then it's also referred to as childhood. So I mean, it, it's like yeah. I guess then then we'll graduate into other arcs as we as we progress. Yeah. So to end this, and like I said, it is like an arc. It does have a big you know 
not really like this episode, but it gives you your bang for your buck. We have the truth behind the Christmas game. We start off running. <laughs> we have Kaito and Oren, uh, a.k.a. Baron and Bravo, fighting between themselves, which makes a lot of sense. Kaito wants a rematch, and Bravo, hey, he just likes fighting. <laughs> Meanwhile, our good friend Zengetsu is trying to figure out, you know, who's breaking into, like, the Hell on Forest. So he, like, decides to check it out for himself. Ryugan is actually looking for the Armored Rider. Mickey, of course, wants to find the Zangetsu Rider because it's his brother. He's not positive yet, but he's, like, 95% sure. Kota finds Zangetsu, actually, and he's beating the you know, poor crap out of Dale or Chip or whichever one you want to call him. He's beating up Chip. Chip, Definitely. okay. Yeah. Chip is the smarter one. Yeah, yeah, Dale is kind of the dumber one. There you go. Yeah. Good, good, good point. <laughs> yeah, he um, eats the hell out of Chip. You know what's funny is I I couldn't tell them apart until he kicked his ass in that scene because I'm always like, wait, who's the who's the acorn and who's the the porky or the fucking porky pine, pine cone? <laughs> yeah, I'm like pine cone, you know. And 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 then and then he kicked his ass and when he demorphed or whatever, I'm like, oh okay, it's it's the guy with the glasses. I'm like, okay, that is Chip. All right, cool. You know? Yeah, so. exactly. Kota, who's been kind of sneaking around, he sees this whole fight going on, and then after he pretty much, you know, gets his ass handed to him, he follows and gets to back to the, like, it's a little campsite. It's not really a base, it's just tent it's, it's like a It's like a staging ground. I mean, their base is really the actual corporation, and that, that portal leads to the the top floor in the Yudrezel, you know, tower and everything, but... Yeah. They, 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 he does locate, you know, basically their little staging ground. They've got a bunch of different tents and all these guys, these, you know, troops and scientists and, you know, excavators and biologists and all this kind of stuff going on. Yeah, he sneaks in all solid snake style by donning a researcher's coveralls. He goes into one of the tents where these two scientists are watching the video, uh, video captures, and they, they see that Zangetsu has fi- found Bravo and Baron. So this is a pretty fun fight. Zangetsu does a pretty good number on Baron. And the whole time, Bravo is, like, falling in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, little heart, like, big hearts come out. And you keep hearing, <laughs> actual guitar shredding. It, it, it's, it's is, that, is that, I, I, I wondered if that's supposed to be the excuse of why Bravo gets his ass handed to him after basically like if I were to compare this to like a nineties comic, you know, you know, Kaito and Kota are your regular comic book stars that you've been reading for the last, you know, 15, 20, 60 years or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, this new big bad walks in on the scene, which would be Bravo, you know, and he's laying a smack down on all kinds of different characters, including, the lead characters, but yeah. then it's like it, it's almost a double whammy. Or, or in some ways, if if Zangetsu is like Dark Side, it'd be like you know, some somebody who's who's already an established bad guy coming back in and saying, "Oh, you're the new cool guy. Oh well, fuck you very much." You know, and he just bitch slaps him basically. You know, and yeah, you're like, yeah. "Oh wow!" Like because it was interesting because I thought maybe. That, that 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 would be more of a fight the way they set up Bravo so much is like oh he was in the military and he knows all these tactics and blah 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 and it's like but it doesn't really matter in the case of Zangetsu because Zangetsu you know basically you know put Kota in you know a, a traumatic 
you know, stress disorder syndrome he put him in know, the hurt locker. Mo- moment, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it seems like he basically, at, at this point in time, until we, uh, I'm, I'm assuming until we get into later in the series, like he is the ultimate writer that no one can touch at this point, and he basically proves it in this episode. Like anybody who he comes into conflict with, he lays the smack down on, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely at this point, he is like, yeah, he's, 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 the big bad, yeah. He's he's the guy you don't want to mess with. But no, I see what you're saying, and I definitely think that's part of it, because while he's getting his ass kicked, Bravo's all like, you know, it is an honor to be beaten by someone like you. <laughs> you know? It's kind of like, like he's getting his ass kicked. He's like, call me! You know, you know, yeah. so... And it's like, what's your name? Even though this is happening in real time, Coda's actually watching it on the video feed, too. And the, and the whole time, I, I kind of like this because it's not the main bad guys monologuing and giving away all their plans. It's just two scientists, and they're like, yeah, yeah, the hell high forest, we're getting log seeds, and, like, you know, they're all, like, guinea pigs. And, they're, they're giving away everything, basically. And this kind of pisses off Coda. He's like, guinea pigs? And he, like, punches a, a shelf uh, next to him. And the researchers, still being kind of dumbasses, they're like, why are you so mad, man? Why are you mad, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't they don't seem to pick up on the fact that he... He's one of these dumb beat writers. It's interesting how they put it, too, because they, they put it in such a way that they said any adult would actually be terrified of of becoming one, yeah. becoming one of these writers and everything. But because they're they're these beat writer kids, you know, these, you know, these quote unquote mall rats, these, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know, it's like they they it, it doesn't even dawn on them to think that far ahead. You know, they're just thinking in the moment, you know, being that in the moment nature of of childhood you know like oh this is cool it's a watermelon like let's let's hook it up you know whereas you know you might not think of the consequences of you know like what if the watermelon you know rolls over a baby carriage or you know i don't know what but you know what i mean like that 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 i think that's where that is leaning towards and that there are definitely consequences to come for for them having taken on these driver belts yeah yeah this this power comes with a price definitely Coda is about to uh, go help Michi as he sees that Zangetsu has found him, and they're starting to square off. But before he can, a whole bunch of invests attack the base camp, so he's kind of delayed by that. He's like, oh, shit, well, i got to fight these invests. Zangetsu and Ryu do face off. There's a little bit of a fight. Ryu again, Michi obviously doesn't want to fight his brother, or who he thinks is his brother. And he's like, I, 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 you know, I'm holding back. And even Zangetsu says this. He's like, what are you shooting at? You know, at one point during their fight. Because he's just shooting wildly. He's not even, like, trying to aim and stuff. And it's funny, though, because I kind of got this, like, hint that, like, Zangetsu doesn't know that this is Michi. But he, he still compliments him at one point. He's like, you know, you're using tactics well against me, but it won't, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, that kind of stuff. But he's like, that's the first time he's spoken well of any of the writers, you know. All the other ones, he's like, you know, you're garbage, you're trash, you know. It's like, you know, you're you're useless. Luckily for Michi, Zangetsu finally gets the call that the invests are attacking the base. And he's like, you know, I, I will deal with you later. Then fucking Dale, being a dumbass, <laughs> seeing all these guys get kicked and knowing they, like, he has to know he's not the strongest writer. <laughs> no, but, but that's what's funny. He doesn't know. Like, he's got the two big Dale buck teeth. And he just, he goes at Zangetsu. It's almost like he didn't get the memo. It'd be like, you know, I, I'm going it, to, it'd be like fucking, I, I don't know. It'd be like freaking, uh, you know, somebody like, uh, I can't think of who, like, you know, I don't know. It'd be like Green Arrow, you know, going like, I'm going to take on Dark Side all by myself. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And you're just kind of like, are you crazy? Like, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. And it goes about as well as expected. Before Zangetsu left, Professor Ryoma, he was like, uh, by the way, make sure you don't hurt these kids too bad. Those warring drivers are very valuable. And what happens? Poor, poor Dale. He he's trying so hard, and he won't let he won't let Zangetsu leave. Zangetsu's like, I'm just trying to leave. Well, Dude, yeah, that, that's what's interesting because he's 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 torn at this point because at this point the invests have started attacking that that staging ground that we mentioned, that base camp, and all those scientists that. Coda was so mad at, like, they're all running in terror and getting, you know, raped and pillaged by all these invest monsters. So basically, he's gotten the radio call where they're like, oh, you know, uh, commander, you know, come back here and, and help us out because we're being overrun. So he's like, I don't have time for you right now, Dale. And Dale's like, oh, hurt? No, you gotta fight me, you know, like, hurt. You know, and it's like, he won't, he won't stop. So it's like, it's like, at this point, he's not even thinking about preserving the driver or being delicate with them. It's just like, you know what? Stop being an asshole. Get the fuck out of my way. And he actually yeah. ends up like, like tearing open the, the guy's driver. And then he's like, Oh fuck. I didn't mean to do that. You know what I mean? But it's like, Oh, well, that's going to be so pissed. Yeah, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at camp, as you're, as you're saying, Coda is actually helping out as much as he can. He's not really aware that he's helping. He's, like, just fighting imbalance until one of the scientists is, like, one of the same scientists who called, like, you know, all the writers garbage. He's like, you got to help us get out of here. There's people trapped in that tent. He's like, oh, and he, you know, throws it back into his face. He's like, oh, like, you know, you want my help? One of the garbage kids that you guys, like, are using as guinea pigs? And he's like, please help. You know, he's, he's obviously terrified. And Coda, being the guy he is, being the hero he is, he's like, Fuck it, I'm gonna save your ass, you know. <laughs> it's like he's not gonna hold grudges. These these people obviously can't hold off these invests. Luckily for him, while Mitchie has a watermelon arms, guess what? There's a watermelon arms in a case that fell out and it's on the ground. So Coda grabs it, turns into the uh, Suka arms, and we get a new mode for toys, even though if you have the toy you already knew about it. It's the gyro mode, which basically is kind of a mid transformation where it's not a robot, it's like this big flying thing. It's very funny, though, because he flies through the crack, because the invests have started pouring through, and all the researchers see the watermelon arms fly up, and they're like, oh, you know, the overseer is so great, they think it's Angetsu. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, and even Ryoma does, because while Koda flies up through Yggdrasil's tower, there's a bunch of flying invests over the top. By the way, just to let you know, the citizens of the city have no idea what's going on because Ryoma, being the crafty bastard he is, has holograms set up that make the sky look normal. Even in, even though there's a couple of times where it flickers and like the people are like, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's lightning. Don't worry about it. Anyway, Koda flies up, takes out all these invests, and at one point he's getting a little bit overpowered and he, he slides down the side of the giant mushroom-looking building. And Ryoma's like, I guess I better help him out, which is also an interesting little thing. It's like... Like, he doesn't really, like, he's like, he doesn't really care. He's like, I'll help out the boss. Why not? You know, he's like very nonchalant. You know, he's not like, I must help the overseer. He activates a bunch of laser cannons. They take out a bunch of invests. But finally, the guy who does the job is, of course, Coda. Eliminating all the invests. Everybody's like, oh, man, like, the overseer, he's so great. Like, you know, we love him. And who walks out of the crack? Oh, look, there it is. It's Takatora. <laughs> It's funny, the, it's like the watermelon buster kicked all kinds of ass, and it was like this cool scene. But, yeah, they never, they didn't realize that it was actually 
Kota, who was doing all the cleanup and everything. Yeah, exactly. Michi actually arrives at the camp finally, and he sees, like, oh, look, there's a bunch of, there's, like, a big-ass box of lock seeds. So, <laughs> it's, like, know, it's like a trunk a trunk full of lock seeds, so guess guess who won the tournament? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to end the episode, Michi comes and puts this, yeah, big-ass box of lock seeds in front of Sid, and Sid's like, oh, this worked out very good for me. We should do this again. Kota is full of piss and vinegar at this point. He is not happy. And he's like, just to let you know we're not wrapped in this little maze you're doing. And, like, you know, Sid's like, at the end, Sid's like, hmm, looks like I might have to pack up shop. So, you know, we have that. We, we of course, had to have a nice, happy Christmas ending. And it ends with Team Guy doing a little dance in front of everybody and, like, you know, celebrating the Christmas season, whatever, you know, do your little dance, make a little love, get down tonight. With with Santa hats. See, that's how you know it's for Christmas, because they do a little dance, make a little love. With Santa hats! With Santa hats! You know, so that's that's how it goes. I know, right? <laughs> with Santa hats! And, and like I said, you could tell this is an arc, because while this is going on, even though it's happy and cheerful, we have Kota kind of doing a uh, narration over it, explaining it's how... Just, it's just Kevin Arnold, you know? He's doing this. <laughs> You know, what would you do? I say attitude. You know, so <laughs> yeah, no, like that, that's what I realized. I really wanted to bang my. You know, um, <laughs> I, I realized when she was a blonde, she was super hot. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, but but also in reference to the arc being called childhood, he's also referencing that they they started this as a game and they were nothing but kids, but now. Like and I guess this is Kota at, at like at the end of the series because he's like if we knew it was coming, you know we would never would have gotten involved. But we have no choice. Our fate was sealed and our destinies were you know blah 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 blah. Well, it's it's, yeah. it's interesting how he refers to it as because it's not so much like you're a child and then one day you decide you're going to be an adult. It's more like one day you you can no longer be a child. You know that you just you can't help it. You know yeah. and then that's when you that's when you become an adult, you know? So it's like, that's it's kind of an interesting way to view it. You know, like some people view it as like, you know, I, I guess it's, it's how people think of like people needing a rite of passage, you know, it's like, Oh, to become a Jedi, you have to do this kind of, you know, something or other, you know, go through the cave, chop off Darth Maul in half or, you know, whatever the, the thing is, you, you have to go through some kind of rite of passage. But I, I think the inference is that whatever rite of passage you go through, means you can no longer go back to childhood. They, they've gone past that marker as far as, like, you know, like, we're just kids. It's like they've gone into adulthood. Because, I mean, all these kids are probably, like, you know, 17 or so, 18, you know. Like, Coda looks Coda seems to be a little bit older, like he's out of school. Mitchie's in school, but he's definitely not, like, just a kid. So, yeah. As far as, like, the arc goes, this is from episode one to now. A lot of good building. Coda definitely evolves a lot. I mean, he has to. He is the main hero. But he does go from being kind of a, not a slacker, but a uh, a wannabe, a guy who wants to do good, but he just can't seem to get it right. To, to a, he yeah. seems to be like, like he, he started out as a directionless character, and now he, he probably has a direction. You know, he knows, at least with the drivers, you know, he, he's got some kind of purpose. You know, he definitely wants to help people. Yeah, and obviously he's, he's gotten very good at being a writer, where, like, you know, he, he was never a bad writer, but like, like you said, he had that moment where he got his ass kicked by the white writer, and he was like, no one does it anymore, Mom. And you know, you yeah, know, he, he went through some he serious, that, yeah. a serious bout of self doubt. Yeah, but yeah, he grew. Uh, Mitchie also like he went from being like you know just Coda's little like you know 
lapdog who's like, I love Kodo, and he's, he's becoming his own person as well. Mai has had a little bit of character development. She'll get more, but she's definitely not forgotten. She she definitely comes off as like this driving force for Mitchie and Koda. She's like definitely this this person who who like like she says she wants to do. She wants to make people smile, and like they see that in her, and they see like what a good heart she has. And that that's the kind of person they're fighting for. So you know she gets her moments. Kaido, obviously, like you said, Derek, he's 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 a rival. He's like. You know, is he bad? Is he good? Who knows? But he definitely has his own agenda, but he's not, he's transparent about it. He's not like, you know, really sneaky. He's like, I want to do what I want to do. The strong survive. You know, he's not, he's not like Yggdrasil, who's like, you know, fingers in every pie and they're like plotting. He's just like, I will beat you. I I may not do it today, but I'm going to kick your ass and I'm going to be the strongest there is, you know? Yeah, I mean, Um, I think at this point he values strength above all. Like that's, that's. In his mind, that's the top echelon of being superior in his mind, whereas, you know, obviously there's other elements to it. You know, the corporation is using subterfuge and, and misdirection and all these other kind of tools. And to, to him, I think at this point, you know, he, he'd think that was, you know, chicken shit stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and and yeah. I think that's why that's why even though he's a rival, and even though you can consider him maybe a bad guy or something like that, it's like th- that's why you appreciate his character because he doesn't he doesn't believe in any chicken shit bullshit. You know, he doesn't believe in any of that crap. It's like, and 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 there's something refreshing and honest about that. It's like I believe in strength. You know, I don't like weak people. You know, and, and, you know, I, you know, he believes himself to be strong. It's kind of funny, though, because he does get his ass kicked quite a bit, you know, so, so there is a dichotomy there. So, so you, you, you feel like he'll, he'll maybe learn and grow as the show goes on and, and it'll be an interesting journey to watch him have. Yeah, but he does do the Vegeta thing. Like, every time he gets his ass kicked, he gets up and he's like, I'll get stronger, you know. And then there's a couple of uh, tertiary players. We have Bravo, pretty much a wild card kind of guy, like. You know, Derek has mentioned, you know, I was like, I can see him being like, you know, not a bad guy, a good guy, or a bad guy, and just be a bad guy. That pretty much is kind of how he plays out later on. I won't give away, like, spoilers, but, like, Mr. Oren is not all he appears. He's not just a, a jackass. He's not just a condescending prick. Then we have Chip and Dale. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will reveal this. One of the duo doesn't get a lot of character development, and you'll find out why. Might make Derek very happy. I'll just say that. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're very much they're very much. Not, I don't even know if they're tertiary characters. They're just kind of there. Of course, we have Yggdrasil, we have Zangetsu, Takatora. These are all going to be major characters, right? Oma, Sid, the lock seed dealer. Because now, if he's not dealing lock seeds, what is he going to do? And you know, he's obviously a part of this corporation, so he's not going anywhere. And then, of course, you have DJ Sagara. He doesn't. He's not a big on-screen guy. He doesn't show up a lot during the series. But every time he does, it's, it's very important later on. So you you get used to Sagara. He's he's he definitely plays a role. Yeah, to to wrap up the entire arc, very enjoyable. Like you know, I think the like we had one or two episodes where we we're like, eh, it was okay, but still really good. Gaim was huge in Japan, and I, I could see why. It's it's so enjoyable. It's lighthearted at points. It has good comedy at points, but it does have like you know, like I said, there's a difference between a mature storyline. And, like, you know, an adult storyline. This is kind of a mature storyline. It, it tells you a story that if you're an adult, you can get, and, you know, child children can get it, you know. Because, like I said, I've always seen Ryder as kind of, like, early teens, whereas, like, Sentai is maybe, like, you know, kids. 
and it does deal with those kind of things that you deal with as a teen. You know, I, I, I want to be seen as an adult. I don't want to be seen as a kid and, you know, like finding out what it takes to become an adult instead of just, you know, like saying it, you know, actually doing it. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel I, like, like this specifically, like this arc and the theme of this arc, it, it reminds me of the kind of themes that would be in a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, that, that whole yeah. transition from, from teen to adulthood and, and different responsibilities you have. And, you know, at the same time, it's dealing with sort of this fantasy element. And, you know, obviously it's not exactly the same, but, you know, it's kind of similar. I mean, there are monsters, there are, you know, you know, trying to protect people and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, yeah, I, slayers, I, you know, what about <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can understand why this was really popular. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'd give anything lower than three pineapples of, of this first arc. You know what I mean? They were all good. You know, some obviously were more exciting than others. But I think the thing about this is this is very much like eating potato chips that are good. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like yeah. it's like that thing of uh oh you watch the one episode and you're like, oh man, like that was great. Let me eat another. You know, let me watch another. You know, like and and, and they flow very well and you're never kinda like, you know, oh man, like I gotta get through this. There there's no getting through it. It just kinda it, it's told very well and it kinda flows and you know, you're you're always usually kind of looking forward to and excited to to watch what what's coming next, and they do a good job of making you sort of anticipate, you know, you know, then the follow up episode as well as you know, kind of tell you the story that they're trying to tell you at the time. Yeah, it's just it's just really well put together. I mean, it's like you know, not much else could be said besides that. You know, just let you guys know, no promises on how quickly these episodes about guy will get out. But we are kind of dedicated to getting them out a little bit quicker than we have been. <laughs> kind of took a break for a while. It is mainly because two of our fan holes, Patriots, Jan and Justin, had scheduling conflicts. Nothing that was their fault. But we wanted to do the shows with them. But they've given us their blessing. They're like, go ahead, do the shows if you want. You know, we'll listen to them. So thanks, guys. And we'll definitely, like, you know, keep bringing you uh, some good guy goodness. I mean, at some point, we may even move on to a different show. I'm, I'm trying to get Derek more into Common Rider. He doesn't hate it. Mighty Stretch and Magic is just not something he watched a lot of, so... Yeah, I'm just I'm kind of dipping my toe into it. So I guess the more we watch of this, then the more I'll have to talk about. Yeah, exactly. We'd like to thank you guys for listening to us. I guess we can give a shout out to Ron Sadowski. He was one of the guys that had Facebooked me and asked me when the new Toku Thursdays episodes were coming out. So give a shout out to him. We appreciate the feedback and everything. I know we hadn't been doing a lot of the episodes, you know, recently and stuff. So this was kind of uh, his his message was kind of a kick in the pants to. Uh, to get us back on board to try and at least finish off Gaim and, and like you said, you know, look into other stuff. As far as Kakaida goes, I think that might be on a hiatus for a little while longer, but definitely there'll be more Toku Thursdays episodes coming down in the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, yeah, you, you adjusted definitely, that's, that's you guys' baby. I wouldn't want to step on that, yeah. We love you guys listening to all our shows. We bring you stuff like Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, which we also going to do some of. <laughs> Bubble Soup Mondays, which we, I don't know if you guys know this, but we recently finished up the entire series of Build Fighters. Go check out every episode, 25 episodes. I, I don't know, I don't know if, if, if the timey-wimey nature of how this works, like, I don't know if all those episodes will be out by the time somebody's listening to this, but they can rest assured that that is actually completed. Yeah, it's done in the back, so yeah, if, if, if you don't see the latest episode is probably got an episode or two left. Cause I think the last one we posted was like, you know, maybe the 23rd episode. So we're, we're doing good on that. 
and of course, we have Transformers Tuesdays. We don't really do episodes as, as far as specific. We just talk about everything Transformers. Comics, shows, movies, whatever, games. So, you know, check out that. And, of course, as always, we have the Fan Holes Podcast proper, where we just talk about everything geeky and uh, fun and good in pop culture. If you want to get a hold of us, we have tons of ways to do that. We have Facebook. We have our uh, email, uh, fanholespodcast at uh, gmail.com. Uh, we, of course, have the Fan Holes Podcast proper website at blogspot.com. Get on Twitcher, you can see it on Twitcher. Not Twitcher, Stitcher. What is Twitcher? Stitcher, yeah. <laughs> Stitcher Radio we're on. Yeah. Uh, we're on iTunes. Please rate us on iTunes. The more you rate us, the more popular we get. We love that. We have a Tumblr. We have an Instagram. We have all this stuff. I mean, you can get a hold of us any kind of way. See so all the kind of stuff we like to put out. We always appreciate feedback. Let us know if you liked it. Let us know if you hated it. We, we, we like both. Until then, I think that about does it for a dime. And I'll let Derek sign off first. All right, take care, guys. This is Derek, Derek WC, signing off. And this is Tony and Fight of Hammer. Peace. When you were like saying you got confused when you and Jan did like the two episode episode, but like damn, I was like everything runs together so well. I was like having to go to the wiki to like make sure I was talking about the right thing. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah, I, that that's I guess that's just how it works because they they all seem to sort of flow together. Yeah.